world. The past first point guard and Trailblazer reporter Mike Richmond. You listen to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Go wherever you get podcasts and also on YouTube. Thanks for amazing. Thanks for making Locked On Blazers first listen every single day. Free on all platforms, five days a week. Coming at you every single weekday. Your only daily Trailblazers podcast. So make it a part of your daily routine. Make it your first listen every day, and then tell your friends to do the same. In today's show, I want to look back on All-Star Weekend. Friday was fun and Sunday was fun, but Saturday is a mess and the NBA's got to fix it. I want to talk about some advice that Clyde Drexler maybe gave Damian Lillard or just a little bit too much Clyde Drexler weighing in on Damian Lillard's situation. And finally, we'll close the show talking about some end of the rotation, end of the bench guys, back end of the Blazers rotation, my thoughts on them and kind of where they might fit in next year's team. But let's start with All-Star Weekend. I'm recording this on Sunday evening after the, uh, the after the Blazers. No Blazers in the All-Star Weekend. After the NBA's All-Star Game, uh, Steph Curry had 50 points. It was fun. The All-Star Game's fun. Uh, the, the game is good. On Friday night, I watched the Rising Stars game. It was pretty good. I thought the first, uh, it was like three three separate games. The first one was a little, little rugged, but... The second two were competitive and pretty entertaining, like watchable exhibitions. And that's the goal, right? Entertaining. It doesn't need to be the highest level of basketball. They already do that during the year. Give us something fun. But Saturday night sucked. (laughs) It sucked. I mean, congratulations to Carl Anthony Towns, um, who won the three-point contest. But the dunk contest is, um, is just awful. It's awful. It's awful. So... I don't know that I have a solution, but I want to look at the other solutions that they fixed for for Friday and Saturday and Friday and Sunday, and how can they kind of apply that to to Saturday. My one solution is go back in time for the dunk contest. Actually, this is my one solution. You got to go back in time, and in 2004, con- convince LeBron James to do the MFing dunk contest. Uh, he, he sat out, and it set this precedent that um, stars of that followed his generation just didn't do it um it became a thing that you know nate robb and and dwight howard did of, of like that level of star dwight howard's level of star which was like very good all nba player but not one of the like true 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 elites but kobe did it when he was young and mj had done it when he was young and and um the sort of those marquee types don't do it now we do not get the best dunkers in the in the in in the what should be the main event, at least the way it set up the main event on Saturday. So what can we learn from Friday and Sunday to get us there? Basically what they've done for Friday and Sunday is make the game, like um, make it hard to slough off. So they've added target scores as opposed to just like a time score. When it was time score in the All-Star game, the games were bad. And they've applied that same sort of target score thing to the Rising Stars game. All these dudes can count. A lot of a lot of really good arithmetic dudes in the league, so they can look at they can look at the the number and say, hey, we're playing to fifty. It's you know it's thirty eight thirty two. Let's score some points. Like I don't want to lose. Everyone's competitive. Like if, if you have, you know you don't need to have played high level basketball to know like if you're playing for something and getting us and, and you know gets a little bit close, it'll get competitive. I thought the end of those Rising Stars games were fun because teams were going for it, trying to win the game, and it's it's baked into it. You can't slough it off. You can't fake it. Same thing with Sunday's All Star game. First few quarters are kind of gross. No one's playing defense. Everyone's still you know it's entertainment. It's supposed to. Be that I do not want to see and do not need to see a high-level basketball game. I do not care for that. Like I don't. Um, I watch a ton of NBA basketball. I'll, I'll just wait till Thursday. The, the games will start back up again, and I'll be excited. Uh, play, Blazers play the Warriors. I'll enjoy it. But 
you know, the games are close. Everyone kind of knows the deal so they don't get blown out in any of the quarters and that way they can like, be within range at the end of the end of the game. And then the fourth quarter of, of the, uh, you know, you get a target score at the end of the fourth quarter and it's basically a race to 24 points. The, the fourth quarter of the All-Star game was very fun. It was very entertaining. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan hits a big shot. LeBron James hits a game winner. Steph Curry was, you know, he hit a little floater and was chasing points late uh, to set the all-time scoring record. He had 50 two off Anthony Davis's 52 uh, for um, for uh, the all-time All-Star Game scoring record. Like, it was fun. It was competitive. Joel Embiid was calling for the ball. He tried to dunk on uh, Jared Allen. Jared Allen blocked him at the rim. They double-teamed Steph Curry in an All-Star Game. Like, competitive, good basketball. Somehow, where... So that's like... Those are just things that are baked in. They have a score. They have a target score. And it's not necessarily competitive. But nobody wants to lose. And when, like, like I said arithmetic really good arithmetic you can look up at the score and say okay we need eight points we need eight points like here we go Uh, those games are competitive you've got to figure out a way to bring that into into the dunk contest three-point contest kind of is what it is um if steph curry's not going to do it and clay thompson's not going to do it like they've done it a bunch in the past you can still have it be somewhat entertaining. I mean, Luke Kennard versus Carl Anthony Towns is not going to be great TV, but that's fine. Um, The three-point contest kind of unless you're going to make it something funky, like I think it's going to stand alone, but the dunk contest, you you just, there has to be a way to incentivize it to make it better. Um, I, it, it looked like it was going to die. And you know who brought it back was Aaron Gordon and Zach Levine. It's two great dunkers. You've got to find great dunkers. Uh, shout out to Cole Anthony, not a good dunker. Jalen Green was awful. Uh, <laughs> Obi Toppin was fine, but the like, all the air was taken out of that building. It was, um, you know, I thought Juan Toscano Anderson's first dunk was great, and then it went downhill from there. Um, really cool uh, Mexican uh, Warriors jersey, though. Looked great. Did not dunk very well. Uh, like, you've got to figure out a way to make it competitive and incentivize the best dunkers to be in it. Because you can't fake it. Like, you can't make... You can't make Cole Anthony and Juan Toscano Anderson more famous, but you've got to get the best dunkers in there. A way that Ja Morant and and Anthony Edwards are in this game, a way that Zach Levine is in or in this competition. Like you just, whether it's money or some other incentive or some sort of bragging rights or or just a straight up like the NBA just strong arms these guys to some extent. Like if hey, if you're gonna be there, Ja Morant on Sunday, you gotta be Saturday night. Like the more pressure they've got to figure it out because it stinks it stinks also saturday night stinks and i think the other events around like the celebrity game i it's not for me i'm not gonna i didn't watch it um i don't know i don't know who those i've read the list i don't know who those people are they're not celebrities to me so i didn't watch the game but like i thought the rising stars game was good and i thought the all-star game was great saturday night just stunk it's bad the whatever they did with the skills competition was also bad it was bizarre and i couldn't figure it out um you got to figure out how to get the best dunkers in there. One more uh, note on on uh, on the All-Star weekend was it was they did the 75th anniversary team and they had a bunch of guys uh, they had pretty much most of the people who were there and I thought it was really cool. Um, it didn't move me in a way. I think other people just like sort of reading tweets and listening to the broadcast, I think maybe people in the arena um, certainly were, were more moved by it than I was, but I think it's cool to get them all together. It was cool to see a moment of Michael Jordan and LeBron James hugging. It's cool to get all of those special people in one roof. Um, it's, it's tight. And let me just say this, like it's, it's just cool for the league to do that. Let me say this one more time. If you hear someone telling you that Damian Lillard doesn't deserve to be top 75 all time, you tell them this. And even the most egregious inclusion from his 
draft class. Not even the most egregious inclusion from the 2012 draft class. That's Anthony Davis, who's not as decorated as, as Damian Lillard. I know he's got a championship, and I know he was darn good during that championship run, but if we're just talking about resume, Anthony Davis, AD's not there. He's not there. Dame's got a Dame's got a shinier, more impressive resume and has been a better leader of bad teams than Anthony Davis could ever dream of. So if you hear someone slandering your boy Dame, just... Um, just have them defend AD. Have them go ahead and defend AD. And if they defend AD, tell them they did a great job. Because he's way more egregious. Get Anthony Davis the hell up out of there and put in Dwight Howard in the top 75. Uh, we're going to have to wait 25 years to get a top 100. Congrats to you know Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic. And maybe Dwight by then. Um, among others who will uh, who, are, who are playing in Sunday night's game. Who will certainly be, certainly be involved. Uh, I, I, it's... The thing about it is like in, in when they did the top 50, I believe 48 of the 50 players were there. It's how time works. Less and less and less of the legends are going to be there. But the legends were there were, who were there. It was cool to see them. It was, it was a cool moment. Cool to see Dame walk out there. Um, you know who Dame walked out right in front of? Clyde Drexler. That's what I want to talk about in the second segment. Clyde gave... He didn't really give Dame some advice, but he spoke on Dame's situation in Portland and it got people riled up. I want to talk about uh, what what Clyde said and whether you should be riled up about it in the second segment. But before we get there, let's talk about Bill Bar, the best tasting protein bar in the market. Your average Bill Bar has got 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs. Packing a punch, peep the macros. But they also taste great. They're covered in 100% chocolate and they come in delicious flavors like peanut butter brownie, cookies and cream, coconut almond, uh, mint brownie, salted caramel, double chocolate, raspberry. You're going to find something you like. So why don't you go to Bill.com, see what they got, see if there's any limited time flavors that catch your eye. Find out what you like and order more from there. And while you're doing that, make sure you use the promo code LOCKED15 so you get 15% off your order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off at Bill.com. All right. So we talked All-Star Week and Damian Lillard was in Cleveland. They announced him. Damian Lillard, six-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA from the Portland Trailblazers. Damian Lillard. He comes out shortly thereafter. Uh, Clyde Drexler, he, you know, they read his resume. He comes out. They just happen to be near, happen to be near one another because they did guards together. They did by positions, guards, forwards, centers. The, I, I think it would maybe made more sense for them to do it by like era, like pre 1980, 1980 to 95, maybe 19, maybe even like a 20 year or a, like 40 year run there, 1980 to the year 2000, and then the modern age of like you know the six or nine modern guys that are in there, LeBron's, LeBron's generation, uh, MJ's, you know, Magic and MJ's generation, LeBron's generation, and everyone who came before that. Um, I think that may be a better way to organize it than by position, but no one called me for whatever reason. Um, no one, no one, Adam Silver did not blow up my phone. Um, but this came on the heels of, you know, everyone's doing, a lot of legends are doing media and stuff. Uh, and, and Clyde did some media. He was on the Windy City Show with Mark Carmen. It's a YouTube show. And it prompted a tweet that I saw that was like, Clyde Drexler says Damian Lillard should go pursue a championship because it was the best thing he's ever done. And I thought the tweet was a little bit inflammatory. So I went and watched the show and believe it or not, just like all of these things, the 11 minute video interview that's available on YouTube, the Windy City Show with Mark Carmen, C-A-R-M-A-N, if you want to go watch it 
It's not that inflammatory. What uh, what Mark Carmen's he's, he's talking with with Clyde Drexler just kind of about you know his what he thinks about the CJ McCollum trade and, and Clyde says like I don't get it, um, which is fine. Like I don't think you know if you don't follow the league super closely, CJ is the biggest name that that moved in that trade. It seems like the Blazers are headed for a rebuild. Uh, you know, if you're not super plugged in, if you don't l- listen to Lockdown Blazers every day, and Clyde, you should listen to Lockdown Blazers, and thank you if you are, if you've, if you've hopped on board, uh, and if you've connected to Clyde, go ahead and send him the show, we can, he can catch up, we talked all about the CJ trades last week, uh, plenty of audio for him to kind of catch up what's going on with the team, but like, yeah, on its face, yeah, it's it seems like the Blazers are tearing it down, and I think there's a lot of outside sort of speculation that that trade signals that the whole they're burned down the whole thing. If you're in close, you know that it's kind of like this was done with Dame's blessing. Dame's on board; he wants to be here every chance he gets. He says he wants to be in Portland. Um, you know, he he very real, very very openly considered not being here last July, but I think he's you know been two toes down or whatever, ten toes down, excuse me, since then, uh, two feet. In. So it's, you know, when he decided to come back here in the fall or when, whenever that subsided in July, he decided to come back here. He's been all in. He gave another interview this week committing his, his, his un, unwavering loyalty. Like the Dame stuff from the outside always pops up. And Clyde, you know, that was kind of his perspective. It was like, well, I, you know, it seems weird. I wouldn't, if, I, if they were trading CJ McCollum, I may be mad. And then they asked uh, Mark Carmen, the interviewer, uh, uh, Mark asks Clyde, like, hey, you know, you you left. What was it like, your exit? And he says, like, you know, we were 31. I was 31, 32 at the time, 1995. And the team, you know, was they they kind of were breaking up the core a little bit from a team that had been to the championship. And I didn't want to be I didn't want to be a part of helping young guys grow. I wanted to still be competitive. And if Dame's competitive, he might consider it as well. And then Clyde says, it was the best thing I've ever done. He wasn't telling Dame to do anything. The, the headline, the tweet was, was way more overblown. But it, it speaks to the strange place that Drexler is in with the fan base, particularly the younger fan base. Uh, I moved to Portland in 2006, uh, the fall of 2006. I've been here, you know, 15, 17 years. But I guess I've been here 15 and a half. I could just do the math for you. But like... Uh, I, and I've covered the the Blazers on and off on since uh, 2014. A little, little. I did a little stuff before then, but really since 2014, I, I've never seen Clyde at games. Like I, in my eight eight plus years or seven plus years, eight years around the team, I just never. I I I I've met Jerome Kersey and Buck Williams. I've talked to Terry Porter a handful of times. He's you know those gentlemen worked for the team. I've seen Bobby Gross and Dave Twardzik, um, you know, just like guys from Blazers past are in the arena all the time. Clyde's not here. So I think for the, for the younger um, fan base, there's not the connection to him. And, and the Blazers, I will just say they're like, as a franchise, they probably pop, they probably prop up their past teams too much. The 77 team is probably propped up too much miracle special team, but like, they go too hard in promoting the past. If Clyde was down to be promoted by the Blazers, they would hang him. They would hang up his every jersey he ever wore up there. He'd have number twenty-two retired twenty-two times. Like they, they would do it. But he, he doesn't come back. He doesn't come out on the floor when they did decades night. He didn't show up. Like he aligns himself with Houston, which that's cool or whatever. That's like his prerogative. He grew up in the Houston area. He went to college there. He went back there and won a title. He worked for the Rockets. Um, after he retired, was on the broadcast for a long time. Like. That's that's his that's where he aligns, right? And 
But there is this strange thing where because he doesn't align with Portland, I think particularly younger fans kind of say that like he's not the greatest of all time and he can't be. And I think there's some truth to like his sort of lack of presence around the team bringing bad, you know, bringing a little bit of beef, bringing a little bit of beef. But I don't think he was giving Dame or speaking out of pocket in this thing. I think this was just like, you know, he mentioned Dame because he was asked about Dame. He didn't, you know, he did an interview when he was asked about him. Um, and, and, and he, you know, he spoke about his personal experience. I wanted to go win a championship. That's why I left. I would do it again. If I was in, if I was in Dame's shoes, I'd still be Clyde and still think this way. Um, I think Clyde probably saw his claim to the best blazer ever. Dame's going to come take it from him. Uh, and part of the reason he's going to take it from him, one, he's going to have all his records, right? He's going to be a leading scorer, leading minutes, leading, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be the top of the record books and he's going to pass Clyde and games played and minutes and all these things. Right. And he's going to eventually have the individual decorations, like the all NBAs and the all-stars to match Clyde's resume with the Blazers. He's probably not going to have two, two championship appearances. Uh, and he's probably not going to be what Clyde was, which was the second best player in the league for a very brief window. Um, Clyde was really good and probably is the best player in franchise history. Not for long. And one of the reasons that he won't have that claim is because he doesn't come back around. If, if Clyde came back around, went out on the pinwheel at midcourt and waved at once every seven seasons, you know, if I'd seen him do it once in the eight years I've been around, eight years covering the team, like, it would be different. It would be different. And people, particularly younger people, um, and those younger people are now like, I'm talking like under 40, um, like th that age of people who don't, who just don't remember Clyde well, or remember him when they were eight. I'm like, oh yeah, he was my favorite player. I was in the third grade. It's not the same. Like you just, you, we, he just hasn't connected with that sort of era of fan, um, like millennials for lack of a better term. Like he just, uh, you've, you've got to be an old millennial to remember him. And even then you were in the sixth grade. Um, so like, remember him at his peak. I'm not saying remember him, <laughs> uh, but it's, I think the headlines of what Clyde was saying are a little overblown. I think the the real like thing that this made me think of is like Clyde's place with the Blazers is odd. It's strange and it's undeniable that it's those things. And I think when he speaks on Dame, it brings out those feelings of like, hey, D you know, for many, many fans, Dame's my goat. Dame's my goat. He's mine. So Clyde, stay the hell away. And I think then from the outside, people who who are like, damn, why did, why do Blazer fans, why are they so mad at Clyde? Um, I think this was Mark Carmen who did this interview. He was stunned to learn that there was some sort of vitriol towards, towards Clyde. I don't think it's known outside of our market. So I want to kind of unpack that strangeness of the Dame versus uh, Clyde thing. It's just a weird, it's a weird dynamic. And whenever Clyde is going to speak on the Blazers, it's always that kind of comes up. It bubbles up to the surface. Let's close out the show talking, changing gears completely. Talk about some guys at the end of the bench. We all know we're going to be watching Ant and Nurk and, and Josh Hart and kind of what they can do for next year. But there anyone else who's kind of on the edge of the rotation that has been catching my eye? Spoiler, there are. There's a couple. We'll talk about them to close the show. But first, let's talk about BetOnline.net, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. And you may have missed the Winter Olympics. You may have missed the Super Bowl. You still got pro and college hoops. You still got the NHL. You still got tennis tournaments all over the world. You still got soccer heating up. You still can go play your favorite Vegas casino games on betonline.net. You can do it all. And on whatever sport you're into, you're going to find more props, more lines, more odds, more fun than you've ever seen before. So head on over to betonline.net. It's BetOnline where the game starts. 
still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers. We talked All-Star Game. We talked Clyde Drexler. Now I want to shift gears. Talk about some guys at the end of the Blazers bench. We've spent a lot of airspace, and we will spend a lot of space, you know, right here on the show, talking about the sort of known entities heading into next season, what Josh Hart brings, what uh, Justice Winslow brings. In fact, if you did not listen to Friday's show, uh, great, great interview with Law Murray of The Athletic, a Clippers beat writer, talked all about Justice Winslow. I really recommend you check that out if you haven't listened to it. But, you know, we, we talked a bunch about Josh Hart. We're going to talk a bunch about Anthony Simons. We're going to dig in on on what Nurk brings. Like, Nurk looks like he could be top 10 at his position, maybe for the first, first time in his career. And that's exciting and fun. But what I want to do to close the show is, like, mention some guys that are maybe not guaranteed to be on the roster next year. And what I want to see or what I hope to see from them. I will say this. When the Blazers made the trade <laughs> to get Joe Ingles and Elijah Hughes and a second-round pick from the Utah Jazz, when they sent out uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker to make that happen uh, around the trade deadline, I did not consider Elijah Hughes at all. Apologies to listener Jesse, Hughes, Q's fa- huge Q's fan, who was like, I can come on the show and give you a full, full scouting report on Elijah Hughes. And I was like, I don't care. He's not going to play. Elijah Hughes has had some moments where I'm not saying he's like a really high level NBA player, but he's had a couple plays defensively, a block shot and um, and a and a steal, and over the last couple games where there's just these little flashes where it's like, oh, oh, okay, he's got more to his game. I thought he was only a standstill shooter. Uh, you know, maybe I just only remember him from his Syracuse days and haven't caught up. Like he's got a little more, little more to him. Um, I, I I think there's. There's something intriguing about that. You know, he's like a he's an expiring contract, and I do not anticipate that the Blazers bring him back. But when I'm watching the end of this season, and I'm like, hey, why aren't they playing, you know, Eric Bledsoe? Why, why are they holding him out? It, it's because they want to see what they have with a guy like Elijah Hughes. And for me, I'm not like I'm not clamoring for him to play more or whatever. But he was someone who I considered a throw in in this trade, in that trade, and I think he's been. Uh, at least enough to raise, I will raise both eyebrows watching him and pay attention because I think he's had, um, he's had a couple night like sh- he can shoot a little bit from three, but also like pull up when people close out on, on him from three, like a one dribble pull up inside the three point line. Again, a couple defensive plays. I'm really going to key on key in on him as as a defender. Elijah Hughes, um, you know, he's he's going to play the end of the bench. He's going to play nine minutes a night, even on this team. You know, maybe 14 if if something goes right for him. But I will be. He intrigues me. Like of of these players, he's he's maybe the least intriguing is why I led with him. But I have I have. Elijah Hughes has caught my eye a couple times, if nothing else. And for where the Blazers are at in the season, a guy catching your eye seems pretty notable. I will say this, C.J. Ellaby, who, I was, who I've been pretty down on and pretty consistently down on, I still don't know if he's an NBA player. I really don't. I really don't. Um, I, but I will say this, he's very obviously improved a great deal from where he was at the beginning of this season, much less last season. He just, his decision-making is much more comfortable. His shooting stroke, well, it's still a little funky. He's going in a lot more. Um you know, he always had good defensive instincts, but I think he's gotten even better there. And and um, some of it is he would get his he'd have good defensive instincts off the ball, but on the ball maybe he would get a little like he wouldn't he wouldn't keep the he would you know force a guy to a strong hand or something like that. And then he when it's like oh I screwed up, he just doesn't have the physicality to kind of overcome those little mistakes. Uh, I think he's gotten better. I think he's just been better. I'm not. Um, 
I'm not like a big time CJ CJ LB believer still. Uh, I I wonder if he sticks in the league just because I think at his level there's it's just so hard to make it with his level of skill. There's so many guys sort of at relatively his ability, like rel- his relative skill set, that are going to be competing. I think he's going to it's going to be tough for him, but no doubt about it. No doubt about it. C.J. Ellaby has come a long way um, to be, to a guy where I could see him being in the league next year, no problem. Like I wouldn't be surprised oh, if, if I had to guess. Like if you're asking me to guess right now on February 20th, no, I, I don't. It's going to be tough for him to stick in the league. But I, I, he's shown enough stuff that he's um, he's shown enough improvement that you could maybe buy into him continuing to improve. Um, and if nothing else. Neil she's done pretty good at drafting like CJ Ellaby types in the second round and having them turn out to be at least low level NBA contributors, even as second round picks. And I thought Ellaby was like straight up awful uh, early in early in this season. I thought he was just unplayable and he's fine. Like he's obviously this team's in a different spot. So like playable is a different judge. Um, they're not like, I mean, they might, they might end up making the playoffs, but they're not vying for, you know, home, home court advantage or anything like that. But I think Ellaby has, 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 Shown enough improvement that I, you should be intrigued by him. Um, obviously, I, I spent a lot of time on this podcast talking about Trenton Watford. I am very, very curious to know what happens with Trenton Watford. He is a uh, he's a two way guy, so he's he's a restricted free agent. The Blazers can keep him on their books and they can bring him back if they want to, but he's not under contract for next season. So conceivably, he could go out and get a contract. Do I think he's going to go... Do I think another NBA team is going to swoop on Trendon Watford? I do not. So I think the Blazers will have their choice. I wonder... And I really like Trendon Watford. Like, I think I... I'm not going to, like claim the fandom of him or whatever but he was a guy early on in the season where I as soon as he started to play first of all the moment he came off the bench I was like what the hell is this and then he played and I was like oh I get it but this is what Chauncey saw like he's he has some good defensive instincts even if the offense is just way way behind and it's like you know it's like he's a stretch four without any of the stretch and he's been playing five um it's it's uh he's you know he's playing out of position and all these things but like he he's he can handle the ball a little bit. He can pass. He has really good defensive instincts. Like he's um, at his size, he's pretty fluid with the ball in his hands. Like he's he's got some stuff to his game, and I'd be really intrigued to see him in the league and let him grow and all those things. Um, I think he can help. Do I think he will be on the Blazers next year? I have no idea. He's the most fascinating one of these guys because it's like he's clearly like relatively helpful, even on like a good team. I think. I don't know if he would play every night, but I think he would be like a okay fifth big, like because he could just like the defensive ability and the and the ball handling and the passing and stuff. And it's like you can you can sharpen up your shooting, like that's a thing you can improve at. It it'll be an important swing skill for him in the future, but I think in year two it won't be that big of a deal because of the other stuff he brings to the table and the role he'll be asked to play. But would you know if the Blazers are going for it? I don't know if, if Watford would be part of the part of the plan. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. And the Blazers have, you know, nine guys, as I said here today, nine guys under contract for next season. Watford would be a 10th. I can see him being on the team, but he's certainly not a lock. And the last guy, who I want to mention is Greg Brown the third. Greg Brown at the beginning of the year was bad, but fun. If he came into the game, fun stuff was going to happen. Like he was going to do something that wowed you because he just has effortless, freaky athleticism. And he was going to just, he was going to grab a rebound at 13 feet, or he was going to like literally go between his legs and dunk, or he was going to, he was going to just do something wild, right? And he still has those moments where he dunks over Trendon Watford, or he, uh, you know, or he blocks, a, he smacks a shot off the glass um, with a block shot. But like, 
he has taken real strides as just like someone who can contribute to an NBA team in a way that maybe he had not in the past. Um, he, you know, the last game he played, he committed three fouls in about 40 seconds and had to go sit because he's just still really raw and like not quite there. But he's under contract for next season. He was, in, you know, a teenager who second round pick. Uh, you don't if those guys can if those guys can contribute right away it's a miracle like he's a project and that's the whole idea of him is he's a project he's supposed to be this right but i think in the last 20 days you know since the blazers have had sort of had to play greg brown because of their roster situation he has shown me more promise in terms of like functional nba stuff um, than he had in the past. And I'm not talking like shooting and stuff like that. I'm talking just like being in the right spot on defense, being, you know, like standing in the right spot, like just straight up like a decision making at full speed where it's like, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to space to the baseline, like at the dunker spot, uh, stuff like that, where it's beginning of the year, he was just absolutely confused on both ends of where he was supposed to be and he would make contributions because he is more athletic than anyone else on the court he is still that he is still just a freak freak athlete but he has moments where it's clear it's i don't know if like the light is coming on for him i think that might be too generous to talk about greg um and we're talking about end of the bench guys so it's always like um, the bar is low here for what what we're what we're sort of getting excited about but I think there's been more minutes where Greg looks competent and he's like can contribute to a team that's relatively competitive at this level now. And that's without with that. That's with like he's behind in sort of just the 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 feel part of the game and the and the skill part of the game. He's got a, his tools are wild. The tool belt is wild. So if he can sharpen those, you know, sharpen his skills and, and get a little better at his feel, what to do on both ends of the court, he's going to be a contributor. Like I, I am, I'm starting to believe that Greg Brown could be a contributor because the tool belt is truly stacked like he just he has a lot of stuff he can do and if he ever polishes it and sharpens the edges he's going to be he's going to be he's going to be helpful he's going to be helpful and I'll say this uh I think Chauncey Billups really struggled out of the gate with this team and I think there's some criticisms you can lay at his feet at the beginning of the year to say like why did you not run a style that fit the personnel you had like what the hell I think that's a fair question and it's a question I still have and it's a question I'll have going forward but now that this group fits his style a little bit and I think GB and and uh and CJ Ellaby because they play hard and because they kind of fly around and because the the, the sort of results maybe aren't aren't as strict of what you need um and trying to Watford to some extent like these guys kind of fit maybe not what he wants to do but they're willing to to get on board with it because they are easier to mold and I, he has gotten more out of the youngsters than he got out of the vets and i and i don't think that's fit or system i think too much is being made of chauncey's system and blah blah blah, blah. i think this is just like he's connected or he does a better job coaching youngsters at the end of the bench than he did coaching vets at the end of the, at the, at the beginning of the year. But if those youngsters can develop into something useful, that there's some value in the, in Chauncey's approach, he's going to have to figure out at one point, And I think it, you know, we'll, we, we don't need to like evaluate this now, but he's got to figure out how to adapt more of his plan to the personnel because you're not always going to get perfect personnel, but so far, they've started to, you know, Josh Hart and Justice Winslow kind of fit more of what he wants to do. Um, I, I didn't want to bring this up, but like, 
I am not worried even one little bit about Damian Lillard, quote-unquote, fitting Chauncey Billups' system. Maybe a little worried about Damian Lillard wanting to play a little slower than his teammates, but fitting Chauncey Billups' system is nonsense. Do not worry about that. But, you know, connecting with vets who are good but maybe don't fit the system as much is a, is a challenge for Chauncey because, as you can see, at the end of the bench with GB and and, uh, and CJ Ellaby and, and Trenton Watford, like, he's... Billups has done a really good job with youngsters. He's undeniably a really, really good job with youngsters. So uh, that's credit to him and credit to those guys. And those are the, for me, the, that's some of the exciting stuff for this Blazer team. It's like those, how those guys develop because I'm going to watch the hell out of Anthony Simons and enjoy it. But the end of the bench is sort of the big question mark for the Blazers. Like, did they find anything during this stretch, during these final 20 games? And if they find something with Greg Brown and find something with C.J. Elby and find something with Trenton Watford, who are still going to have big roles and 20 games to do it, if they find something with Elijah Hughes, 20, you know, 20 games and, and a chance to prove they belong, then you've, you start be able to check some boxes for next year. And if you start checking some boxes for next year in March and April, you're, you're, you're putting yourself in a really good spot. So I'm, I'm excited to watch those guys continue to grow. And like I said, we're talking end of the bench guys on the 10th best team in the Western Conference. The bar is pretty low. And as they continue to pass that bar, we'll continue to uh, move the goalposts, but in maybe a more productive and reasonable way. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, more shows the rest of this week. We're going to have five of them for you, so do not miss it. Tell your friends about this podcast. Available wherever they got podcasts. Free on all platforms, five days a week, every single weekday. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.